Hello, dear listener. Welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, we speak to Reach Volunteering about volunteering and how charities can effectively find and benefit from skilled and knowledgeable volunteers. And we recorded this interview at the Reach Volunteering office, which means that it's unusually low on background noise. Most of our episodes seem to have clanging and bashing of uh, teacups, as we usually record in cafes. And uh, it was a very good interview, and I hope you will enjoy it. And uh, have, a, have a listen and see what you think. And I'll speak to you at the end. Here we go. Welcome to Janet Thorne, Chief Executive of Reach Volunteering. Hello. Hi, thanks very much. Today we're talking about Reach Volunteering. And am I right that Reach Volunteering is an online platform for volunteers and charities? Yeah, I think we'd probably say we're almost like we're like an online dating agency nice. for um, people who want to volunteer their professional skills and for the charities that can benefit from those skills. Yeah, um, And it's very specifically about skills-based volunteering and that's our niche um, and in that way we're different to the other sort of things like Do It or many of the other places that you might look for volunteering. So I've already had a good look at the Reach Volunteering website and I've found it very useful. I found a number of volunteers on the site that fit well within a fundraising and PR committee that I was working on. And uh, these are people with a huge amount of knowledge and expertise, uh, which they've brought to the charity, especially in a small charity like the one I've, I've been working for, um, with very few staff. So we really did need that expertise. No, that's right. There's, um, it's, it's astounding, really, actually, the range of skills and expertise from sort of people with 20, 30 years of experience to people with maybe fewer years, but very specialist expertise. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing. All these people are willing and keen to donate that for free. And I always find that very inspiring. Um, we, we, we kind of really help charities in two areas. One is recruiting trustees yeah. and the other is in recruiting people to help out on the operational side, say with hands-on projects right. um, or on an ongoing basis. Yeah. So it's really those two different components. And we think it's, a, um, it's really a brilliant win-win. It's a win for the charity because um, they get a chance to, to build their capacity, to innovate, it helps them be more resilient. They can, um, so they can strengthen their governance by recruiting trustees who maybe bring a skill set that the board doesn't have already. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that can help the board much, be much better at either overseeing the work of the organisation or um, also sort of strategically helping the organisation get to where it's trying to go to. Sure. Um, it's a key for that. And then on the operational side, well, you can get volunteers for projects such as um, doing research into your membership, um, evaluating a pilot, doing graphic design for an impact report, improving your SEO. I mean, it's really a very huge it's a range. Broad range of skills, isn't it? Massively, really, really broad. Yeah. Um, yeah. I suppose with trustees, there's been a lot of discussion in media and the press about diversity in the workplace and among trustee boards specifically. And I can understand that the group of trustees might find it hard to broaden their board with people with lots of different backgrounds and skills. Absolutely. And at the vast, there was a big study undertaken with trustees last year, which found that one, that trustees are really not diverse. They're a very undiverse bunch. Um, they're particularly um, 
white male and quite old yeah. as a that's obviously a general picture and that's yeah, not true yeah, of every yeah. charity but they are disproportionately like that as a mm. as a as a collective yeah. um, but also the boards recruit through their own networks Absolutely. and very few actually do open recruitment mm -hmm. um, so thereby they perpetuate that lack of diversity yeah. um, so really first of all recruiting openly is a really important thing because saying well we just want to get the best candidate we're not looking for someone who's just like us yeah. um, but it also means you can draw on a much bigger pool because within your own network there's going to be um, limits to what skills and expertise you can you can drum up yeah. um, and actually, uh, we have done some monitoring of our own um, the diversity of the pool of people that get placed as trustees through REACH, and it's much more diverse than the national picture. So um, it's, yeah, but it's, it's not just about demographics, it's about broadening the skills, expertise, different sector, different perspective. If you've got people from big companies on your board, for example, um, they might have uh, they might be really uncomfortable with the level of risk that comes with a small charity which sure. tends to be very up and down so yeah, yeah. it's about having people with a real mixture of experience um, mm. on your board and that's key so in terms of the networking opportunities that can be present too if you have trustees who are out there working as advocates for your charity possibly with access to groups of potential supporters that you don't currently have on board um, supporting your charity, then this can have a big impact on your charity and helping with things like fundraising, presenting the charity, PR, etc. Definitely. So it not only does it mean that the conversations around that board table are going to be much more robust, yeah. but it also um, means that you've then, yeah, you've got access to all sorts of extended networks that you wouldn't normally. So, for example, one of the areas we've been encouraging boards to recruit on is digital. So yeah. a lot of boards are not very digitally savvy and that really creates quite a break for an organisation, um, a barrier often in terms of moving forward digitally. Mm -hmm. um, but once you've got a digital trustee, not only does it make that conversation around the board table much better, the board is much better able to look at the opportunities, see what the opportunities are um, and also weigh up the risks. But then you have got access to the extended network and that's so important in something like digital, mm -hmm. being able to... Um, in helping you find and procure the right suppliers and getting, yeah. you know, just help in choosing the right staff even for digital projects. So, um, yeah, definitely. I had a conversation with a volunteer who came to us through the REACH volunteering site. And what I was blown away with was that we had a previous conversation and an agenda for our meeting there were things that came in from the volunteer that we'd never even considered. The talk was about strategy, but the volunteer also saw things we could change, tweaks right away to set us on a new path. I think there's, yeah, I think you've hit on a number of things there because volunteers can bring, and this could be as trustees or as volunteers on an operational level, but they, they can bring, one, they bring experience from other sectors. And that's always a great source of innovation because when people transplant or transfer their expertise to a new environment, it creates a lot of new um, perspectives and a lot of new activity. Yeah. Um, but also, most you know, the vast majority of charities are small, mm -hmm. and so to work in them, you have to be a generalist. Yeah. Um, you know, you have, if you're a marketing person in a charity, you're going to be covering press, PR, content, web edit. You know. A whole range of things. So you're obviously not going to be a specialist in all of these things, mm -hmm. but by bringing in a volunteer um, who has a lot of expertise in that area, yeah. then obviously you just injecting skills that you couldn't possibly develop on your own or afford usually. So um, yeah, I think all of those things. 
I know that the nature of the platform is that the charity puts forward a role description. Should I be putting forward a more general role description? Do you have any advice for how general or specific to have the job description? Is there a risk, for example, that a charity might be missing out on crucial volunteers by not being clear enough about the type of skills they're looking for? <laughs> this is a real, question, well, sorry. no, it's, it's a really good question. It's a, um, there's a kind of art and science to it. Yeah. And um, I think you have to do a combination of things. So I think you have to be very clear what you're trying to achieve strategically. Sure. Um, and you've got to work out what impact you're trying to make and sort of work backwards and think, well, mm. what injection of skills and expertise from a volunteer would be useful? What should be done by a paid person? and what can be done on a voluntary basis. Because there are things which shouldn't be done by a volunteer. If it's very, very urgent or it's mission critical, I don't think you can put that on one volunteer's shoulders mm. and it'd be too risky mm. to. Um, or if it's a really, really massive project, for example. Um, but anyway, if you sort of, so if you're very clear about what you're trying to achieve um, and it's a reasonable volunteer role, then I think the next step is to, is to kind of come up with a minimum and maximum, a desirable and essential. essential. So you think, what, what is the, the minimum I would need from someone to be able to achieve something here? And then you think, what's the maximum? What's the desirable? What's the stretch? What's the, and, and you compose it with those two components. If that doesn't sound too confusing. No, no, um, and if you can do that, and then when you meet someone, mm. um, you, you can be, non-negotiable on the minimum because it is very difficult to turn down an offer of help and if someone says I'd love to help you but I've only got one day and you yeah. know that this project is going to take two days yeah, a yeah. week or whatever then there's no point in in just being nice and saying go ahead because no Absolutely. one's going to benefit on the other hand if you do define it really tightly mm. and then you get and you're not you've got no flex or stretch in there at all and then you get someone brilliant who says well I could also do this or have you thought about doing it that way yeah. um, then you're going to miss out on some golden opportunities so yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's that mixture of being very clear about what's the bare minimum you need to achieve your strategic goals mm. um, but at the same time what are the nice to haves and it's, and it's having that confidence to be flexible because it's possible that the volunteer will know an awful lot more than you do yeah. if it's their area of expertise which is what I found so, so and that's you know that's great if that happens, but then of course you still need to own it and make sure that it works for your organisation. So it's quite a um, it's an exciting thing to do, but it's quite a um, it can be quite a challenging thing to do. I suppose, like any offer of help from volunteers, you're constantly weighing up the benefit versus the cost of training, support, management, etc. I can say for myself that we have really benefited from using the Reach volunteering platform. When someone offers support to a charity, volunteering support, it can be hard to turn that support down, can't it? I mean, it's just, it's never worth, it's never going to end well if you take someone on who you don't really need or who can't really deliver what you want. Yeah. Because there's an, I don't know of a single charity that's got spare capacity. Mm. So you're going to end up, you're not going to finish the line with them and they're going to feel quite possibly quite aggrieved that they yeah. sort of tried to help. And it, yeah, yeah. So I think keeping in mind the fact that it's just not going to work. If it's not going to work, it's not going to work. Mm. And not being polite about it. Uh, sorry, no, you want to be polite, but yeah. not being... Um, yeah, not being... Um, yeah, uh, kind of forcing it and yeah. being too um, contrived, I suppose. Yeah, well, I think it's about being really clear and honest. Mm -hmm. And I think if you can be really clear about what you're trying to achieve and what the expectations are, yeah. um, and sometimes people feel like that's asking too much, but it's really not because there will be someone there, mm -hmm. probably, who out there who will want to do it on those terms of who would be great yeah. fit. 
And so it's a matter of just finding the right person. So I suppose it's about really courteously saying to the person who is not offering what you need, thanks so much, I really appreciate your interest in our cause and your willingness to support, that's so brilliant. Yeah. I think in this instance it's not going to work out. Mm. And then sometimes you can find another opportunity within your organisation that will work, sure. but absolutely not inventing stuff because I've seen charities that have do that you know they've had a lawyer that's come to help them but didn't want to use their legal skills and wanted to instead do something else that they had no skill set in and they were so excited that this person was a lawyer that they said yes but yeah. it ended up just being a complete waste of time for both for parties both so yeah. Um, yeah. so don't invent something you don't need because you can always there might well be another opportunity with another charity so yeah. why not suggest that they go over there you know um, I think people find it incredibly difficult to turn down something that's being offered for free yeah but Actually, the volunteer in the with the right, the right placement is always a mutual benefit. Mm. So if it's not mutual benefit, it's just not the right placement. So I think it, that's worth bearing in mind because what the volunteer and we haven't really talked about this yet, but what the volunteer gets out of it, yeah, yeah. Um, and this is worth sort of thinking from the charity side as well because it kind of can help you be a little bit more. Um, confident about turning it down when it's not looking right. Mm. Um, from the volunteer's perspective, they get an opportunity to use their skills and experience to make a real difference in the world. And you know, when you work in the charity sector, you're perhaps used to that because it's your day job. Sure. Um, but if you're not coming from the charity sector, or even if you are, um, that's, a, that's a really amazing opportunity. Mm -hmm. You know, what people, it's sense of purpose is, is really a core component of well-being. There's been plenty of studies which have shown that Absolutely. recently. So there's a sort of psychological underpinning of this. Mm. But I think we all know from a common sense point of view that being able to really make a difference with your skills is a, um, a really rewarding and worthwhile thing. And then, on top of that, there's all manner of career benefits that you can get out of volunteering. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't think it can be the only reason you do it, or you might find yourself getting quite frustrated or exploited, actually. Mm. Um, but as long as it's additional to your own personal desire to do yeah. it, then you can extend your skills, using them in a different environment. Sitting on a board is a great experience of leadership mm. and strategic direction and, and strategic planning. Um, it's a big responsibility, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Board, no, definitely. So. And I mean, we've sort of we look at the volunteers who come to us, and it's very hard to categorise them because they're so diverse. But you can definitely see some grouping. So there are people who who want to further their career, sure. and they feel like it's a really good way of getting new skills, new networks. Mm. Um, you get people who move into a new area and want a way of connecting with the local community. Okay. Yeah. You get um, people who are freelance and do a portfolio of work and just want to balance it with some sort of social purpose activity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you get people who are returning to work, having been out of the workplace for a while, either caring for others or perhaps with an illness. And it's a nice way kind of, of transition. In exactly, yeah, integrating yeah. yourself back in on sure. a way you can set the terms a bit more. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then people who are retiring, um, who've spent, you know, built up a lifetime of skills and experience yeah. and don't want to just play golf or go fishing or, go fishing yeah. or watch daytime telly or sure. whatever sure. Gonna be the, um, and, and feel like they've got a lot to contribute and they do yeah. have a lot to contribute yeah. I mean you know yeah. people who've reached that stage in their life have got so much experience yeah. and usually are very much clearer about what they want to do and why they make mm. fantastic volunteers so mm. um, there's a million different reasons why but I suppose the point is for the charity to keep in mind that the volunteer with the right placement will get something out of it themselves as yeah. well so you don't have to be just grateful and accepting whatever, even if it doesn't work for you. Janet, is there an optimum amount of time for volunteers to support a charity? I've seen on the website timeframes from weeks to months, 
Uh, what's reasonable? I mean, trustees, you can be talking about a few years. So, I mean, there really is no answer to that yeah. because, um, you know, we, when we've surveyed our volunteers and asked, you know, sort of what do you think is a reasonable assignment, you get some who are like, who are retiring going, I'm so fed up with these sort of small things. I want something right. meaty. And then yeah, you've got yeah, yeah. other people who are working going, I can't possibly do something. So, so you know, there's a variety of people yeah. out there. So it's really what suits both. I mean, we say anything more than two days a week mm. um, on an ongoing basis doesn't feel right. right. That, we so think the balance is gone. Exactly. Yeah. Well, no, not necessarily, but you, it just seems a really onerous commitment, oh, I think. I I don't, the replacing of paid person is a whole nother conversation. Yeah. Um, I mean, we would certainly, we don't believe in um, in unpaid internships, for example. Sure. Um, I think that it's got to be very much a mutual benefit and mm -hmm. it's got to be very clearly additional. If you're taking away a job, then that's a really uncomfortable place. And the volunteers yeah. themselves don't want to do that. Right. Um, but also I think there shouldn't be an undue level of responsibility and certainly managing paid staff, for example, would seem inappropriate. Yeah. And like I said before, if it's a mission critical function um, where a whole organisation is resting on that one person doing that piece of work, that's not appropriate. Right, yeah. um, and I think what charities can do to try and balance that is they can either make it a shared role, if that's mm -hmm. possible, so there's a team of people doing it. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I would recommend is to try where possible with a new role and a new volunteer is to break it down into bite-sized chunks mm. um, so that at the end of that chunk both the volunteer and the charity can at that point say brilliant thanks so much bye if oh, it yeah, suits them correct. both yeah, and then okay. everyone goes away happy yeah. and um, but there's always the opportunity to extend if people feel like there is right. merit in that. So most people could probably find a suitable role on the website or it's at least worth them going onto the website and seeing what's out there? I think there's, um, yeah, there's a really broad range of skills. Um, I think there are probably three different kinds of expertise that, and they often overlap, um, that volunteers bring. There's technical skills, mm -hmm. so that could be, I mean, that is the whole range, anything from accountancy to web design um, and everything in between, research, marketing, um, HR, property management, and some really very niche things as well. Um, and videography, we, we've now got a lot more creative oh, yeah, skills, yeah. photography, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then there's the more um, sort of senior management type skills from leading organizations. Um, can be change management, strategic planning, mm -hmm business advice, financial modelling, that sort of stuff. Um, and then the third sort of category of skills is really experience, so sector experience. Um, and that can often also be really invaluable, particularly on a board, but experience of retail, mental health, education, you know, the, uh, the tech sector, whatever. Sure. Um, and that's also really useful um, skills and experience people can bring. And what we found is that people often underestimate, and this is really to anyone who's considering volunteering and wondering, well, am I skilled enough? Mm. People underestimate the expertise that they have, because quite often they're working in a team of people who've all shared the same expertise. So they're comparing right. themselves to those people. Ah, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But if they come and join a charity, now if it's a small charity, for example, mm. like we've said, people are usually generalists there. So yeah. they're bringing an a specialism that's incredibly valuable. Mm. And if they go and join a board, mm. the board is made up of people who all different backgrounds and um, and specialism so again they are going to actually be the expert in that context yeah. so um, and it's really it's a very people find it a very um, 
invigorating um, experience mm. and often sort of almost fall in love with their profession again when yeah. they're put in that context because yeah. they're explaining first principles they're going back to thinking about stuff they haven't perhaps thought before and um, I mean you even get you get volunteers who've sort of hit quite a senior level in their own organizations and it's sort of a little bit element of and now I'm here and so what you know yeah. and there's no fresh challenges but when they go and deploy those skills in a completely might be a small charity but it's such a different context mm. that it really causes them to sort of think it through all over again there's no risk really because if the candidate and the charities are transparent and clear about their expectations, then there's no time wasting. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And also, if you go on and just set up a profile, then mm. people can approach you with their roles. Charities can approach you with their roles. And I do happen to know that some people, um, and Small Charities Coalition are brilliant uh, examples of this, they actually go on and they find volunteers and think, oh, they'd be useful, and then they create a role <laughs> for them. So, um, you know, it can, so it's worth having that profile, because yeah. um, yeah. it can actually sort of stimulate people to. Um, and sometimes people will see a connection that you might not have made um, mm. in just from looking at your skills and experience, or they might not have realised that they could actually find someone like that. So yeah. it's worth it's worth putting it up. In a situation that I've been in recently, I sat down with a volunteer. We talked through the details of the role. We made sure that we talk through our mutual expectations and how we're going to proceed. And what we really encourage people to do is to invest a bit of time in what we call exploring and make that actually a stage in yeah. itself because unlike paid recruitment where it's much more you sort of apply for a job and then you're, you know, it's it's much more of a pipeline like that. Yeah. We really encourage people to have quite a depth conversation at that point because it's a two-way street. It's about the volunteer working out if the charity is mm -hmm. right for them and vice versa. Yeah. And um, the volunteer might, as we've said, have the greatest specialism, um, mm -hmm. the greater expertise in the area. So it's really about a dialogue and working out if there's a mutually beneficial match there yeah. or not. Yeah. And for no one to feel bad to pull out at that stage. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Because you really want to do that exploration. And if, you've got to, if you think it's not going to work, then that's the time to pull out. It's interesting you say that. It's good to hear because um, yeah, in, a, in the situation that I've been recently, I've had that very conversation with uh, volunteers, and we've we've had a, you know in that first instance of meeting and talking through what the charity does and what the aim of the charity is, and talking through the role and talking about how we're going to proceed and agreeing on how we're going to proceed. You know, we've both said if at any point this doesn't feel right anymore, we'll have a conversation about it, and that will be it. You know, and. And I think that that's set a good tone. Really important to do that. Yeah. You know, I think in Britain we have a bit of a dysfunctional politeness sometimes, <laughs> and everyone's scared to hurt each other's feelings in situations yeah, like yeah. that. Um, so much better to be just really clear and honest and open. So, what can charities do to make the most of Reach Volunteering? We've talked about a lot of different things in terms of you know being very clear and transparent. But people listening today, if they, they go onto the Reach Volunteering website and set up a profile for their charity and, and start putting, looking for people or putting roles out. Yeah, absolutely. Upload a role yeah. um, and then do a search for volunteers. Suggest your role to them because flattery really <laughs> works wonders. Um, so if you find someone who looks good and you can encourage them to apply and say, well, yeah. look, you know, we think you'd be a brilliant fit. You know, most people will then look at a role that perhaps they might not have even noticed otherwise. So we do mm -hmm. encourage people to do that. 
Um, but the role will then also be posted on, we have a partnership with LinkedIn, so it goes out onto LinkedIn and draws in an even wider audience. Um, and we have a growing number of other partners as well, um, of businesses and um, professional associations who will also take our roles and post them to their audiences. Yeah. So it's got a really good reach. And then um, people will come back through the platform and um, either reply directly or ask you questions. The one thing you need to be prepared for as a charity is to be ready to respond. Um, yeah. Some charities move very, very slowly and then the volunteers will lose interest or even feel rejected because they don't know that you're busy and just haven't got round to it yet. They'll, yeah, they're sitting yeah. there thinking, oh, maybe they didn't like me. So, um, and it's really important to be courteous. If someone, mm -hmm. much as it's fine to turn someone down, you must always be polite and courteous yeah. if someone's offering their time yeah. for free. I think that's a, a big no-no in my mind, just Absolutely. not leaving them hanging Absolutely. or not, not being clear. Um, no. So respond, be responsive, and it is the biggest bugbear of the volunteers on our site is that charities are sometimes a bit slow to respond or don't respond. Um, and then, yeah, just have open and frank conversations. Um, we encourage people to do create a volunteer agreement with a yeah. volunteer. Nothing, it doesn't need to be very complicated, it's just setting out the expectations on a piece of paper so mm -hmm. that there's no ambiguity. You refer to many points. Exactly. Yeah. If something goes a bit straight down the line, yeah. you can say, well, this is what we agreed, you know, is there a problem in sticking to it? It's much easier conversation down the line. Janet Thorne, thank you for contributing to Charity Chats. Well, thanks so much for inviting me. I enjoyed it. So there we go, dear listener. That was uh, Janet Thorne. A big thank you to her for being such a great guest, for putting us up at her office and for volunteering her time to contribute to the show. I hope you found that interesting. I certainly did. And please do check out the Reach Volunteering website to find out more about how Janet and her team help people find uh, perfect charities to volunteer for and vice versa. And we've also linked to this on our source links page of our website, charitychat.org.uk. Do get in touch with us. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. We always do. And uh, we'd be grateful for any show ideas that you might have, as well as any uh, feedback on the show, both flattering and productive and constructive, I should say. Uh, we're always open to, uh, to that feedback. A big thank you to you for listening. And a big thank you to our sponsors, Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit, Magda Axmit for the beautifully designed website, which you can see, charitychat.org.uk, RR Yard Photography for the pro bono, lovely images on our website, and of course, Forest of Fools, who have been playing throughout the show and are playing us out right now. Until next time, cheerio.